Scano Segoani, bonjour, kwekwe, tansi, good morning, and welcome to Moment of Truth and Element FM. Welcome listeners everywhere. I'm your host, David Moses. And on the line from Yellowknife, we have City Councilor Stacy Smith, newly elected, I might add. Good morning and welcome, Stacy. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Well, it's a pleasure. How are things up in Yellowknife today? Not too bad. It was it was a lot warmer yesterday than it is today, which is kind of a kind of a bummer. Yeah. Now, Yellowknife is is you know if you don't mind uh, setting a little bit of this up, Yellowknife is a is a strange place in terms of weather, is it not? We have some great extremes here. We go from you know plus thirty degrees all the way down to minus fifty. So I mean, we 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 go to to two extremes. Wow. So I was going to ask you about that because I know that that with climate change, the weather has been changing, and, and your weather has been getting warmer. I didn't realize you guys were getting up into the thirties now, though. Oh, it, it, sometimes in summer it's even closer to you know plus thirty eight, plus forty. No. So, I mean, it's in oh yeah. In the past, I'd say around fifteen years, it's only been getting warmer. I don't remember it this warm when I was a child. Yeah. And and you guys are not that far from the Arctic Circle. We are not. It is a nice drive, mind you. Like, there's still a ways away, but uh, technically, no, we're not that far. So you say it's a drive. How far does it, how long does it take to get there? Well, you have to go all the way around. So you have to go back down into part of Alberta, then mm. BC, and then go up to the Yukon mm-hmm. in order to get to an actual road that will bring you past the Arctic or up to the Arctic Circle. I see. And that would be like the Dempster Highway. Right. I've heard of that. Now, now Stacy, mm-hmm. again, I appreciate you being on the line and we jumped right in to talk about the weather. Uh, but um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, I appreciate that uh, you are newly elected. You're also a person of Indigenous heritage. Mm-hmm. And I understand that are you the first person to be elected or to be a current member sitting on the council? Uh, I am not the first Indigenous. I am the first Northern Indigenous. Mm. Uh, back in the early 90s, we had a, um, a Southern Indigenous um, female on council. Uh, but it's been about 20-odd years since we've had any Indigenous representation on mm. our council. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm also going to mention that aside from s- sitting now on council and the reasons why you got involved with that, but you, you are also an entrepreneur and you own a, uh, a business in the downtown core of Yellowknife, and I believe that's Flowers North. Yes, I do. How long have you been running that business? Um, well, I've been with the company for seven years. Um, I became manager uh, my year and a half in, and then I was asked to purchase. Um, I've, I've owned it now for four years. Hmm. And so uh, your, your reason for wanting to get involved with council was what? Um, my reason for wanting to be on council is being female and being Indigenous, having a voice and, and being heard. I know that there are many women out there that don't get the opportunity to, to have their voice um, represented. Um, there's, there's a lot of chaos going on in terms of missing and murdered Indigenous women. Mm. And 
you know, I've established myself fairly well uh, within town, um, owning my own business and people knowing who I am and knowing that I'm, I am the type of person that if, if something isn't right, I'm going to speak up for it and, and I'm, I'm not afraid to do so. So I, I felt that I was the best, best person to be able to take on this role. Now, Yukon has a mix of cultures, but there is a fairly large Indigenous population there, I believe, based on the, the Dene people. I don't know so much about the Yukon, but the Northwest Territories, mm. yes, we do. Mm. Um, so, when uh, now that you're in your fourth year as a business owner, as, a, as an entrepreneur, you know, it takes a little while to get your feet wet, to get yourself established, to build up a clientele, and then, and then sort of finally be able to see clearly down the road a little bit as you want to establish and, and grow that business. And part of that is looking at your environment. And I, I think this has something to do with your, your desire to want to, I think you, you, you've, you've said something about wanting to create a community in the downtown area or, or bring back the heart mm-hmm. of the community. What, what do you mean by that? Uh, well, in the past, um, again, in the past uh, few years, you've, um, if ever you've been in, in our downtown core, you've seen that there is a decrease in, in retail, in the sense of community. It's, it's kind of, it's, it's a ghost town. Once five o'clock hits, there's no one down here. It's, it's empty. It's bare. Whereas when I was growing up, restaurants there was retail spots there was people wanting to actively be in the downtown core and that's not the case anymore and as a retailer in downtown that's it's scary because nobody wants to shop people are fearful to be down here and and I grew up here in Yellowknife and I've walked up and down uh, Franklin Avenue and I've never once been approached I've never once felt threatened I've I've never once had those fearful experiences, and I want people to be able to see my hometown the way that I do. Now, Yellowknife is about, what, 20,000 people? Give or take, yeah. Now, that's quite a statement to make for a town of 20,000 that people are fearful. Why, what's, 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 the, why is it, what's keeping people away from downtown? Uh, what keeps people away from downtown is our increasing homeless population, and it's um, being on council, I have um, acts, well, um, council has has received a report um, called the Pit Report, Point in Time Report, and and we came up to we came to the conclusion that we have approximately 338 homeless in our community, but only 11 percent of those homeless are actually from Yellowknife. So that means a vast majority are from the small communities um, surrounding. Um, as far as Olahuktu, um, people have come down from Macalawit. So people just travel to to Yellowknife because it's a large center. And so, I mean, we, we have a large homeless population that we really don't have any um, um, rehabilitation centers to be able to aid people with their addictions. And a, a lot of our, our homeless population, they suffer from mental health, they suffer from addictions, they suffer from alcoholism, and all these different um, factors aren't being properly dealt with by our, um, our, our government. So they're, they're roaming on our streets and sometimes, yeah, they can be intoxicated. And if you don't know how to, to maneuver um, 
their their attitudes, their characteristics, then it it can become very scary. Mm. But I mean, I I don't want to put a damper on it. But I I grew up in a household um, where you know I had uncles and aunts and relatives that you know suffer from drug addiction and all these things. So you know I have a a better better understanding and and I know how to to maneuver and you know be like oh hey yeah that's funny and you know get sure. their mind off of being angry for that moment mm. and then you know be able to 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 go through a conversation with them and be able to hey you know maybe maybe you should go and get some coffee or you know let's go sit down and relax and so I'm able to do that but people who who have, who are new to Yellowknife they don't quite understand mm-hmm. so what is it you would like to propose to to help with that I definitely would love to see an acknowledgement that yes, we need more um, more programs and facilities put in place for the NWT. I know that um, the GNWT likes to say that they don't have funding for it, but I mean this is this is a major concern that affects 338 that we know of on the street. But I mean there are more people out there that are in need of rehab. They're more in need of these these services and it's not being met. And you know, being able to to help in this this way will definitely it, it's a domino effect. Once you are able to to fixate and and find solutions for this problem, everything else will kind of fall in place after that. And and it's just I, I kind of see it as it's seen as a small problem, but it's actually the biggest problem. Mm. Um, now, I'm surprised to hear you say so many there are homeless, especially given the the, the nature of the uh, of of the um, the temperature range that we just spoke of. I mean, minus fifty in the winter. I'm, I'm surprised anyone could could remain homeless in that kind of a situation or not have somewhere to go, especially the winter months. You know. Yeah, we we try our best to make sure that there are housing, um, that there's housing available in the summertime. It's not bad. You'll see a lot of our um, our homeless population. They will put up camp outside of town, um, and and that's how they end up surviving because they can't always rely on going over to Salvation Army or any other kind of housing um but in the winter time um it's yeah it's a lot more difficult and we have lost some of our homeless population because of the elements Mm. um not having enough space for them and not having not having what we need for them now the downtown core is is your particular focus um, the economy has changed, though. Is that that's that's fair to say? Is it not? That's affecting things. It definitely has. It. Um, we used to. We are still the mining capital, but I mean, mining is only going to last so long. And now we have turned our attention towards tourism mm. because we have the great aurora. We have the 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 weather and capacity. There's dog sleds, dog team. We we have all of these things for the winter, and I believe our tourist season is going to be starting again in the next two three months right now it's it's the the down season mm-hmm. so a lot of attention um that people are really focusing on is you know trying to gear their business in a uh, tourist capacity 
Yeah, uh, and and of course, uh, tourism is a uh, is a big thing, and people do want an experience, a, a an authentic experience, and I think that uh, Yellowknife could probably uh, support that very nicely, given the area you're in and all the things you're talking about, especially with the uh, those northern lights are absolutely gorgeous. They definitely are. <laughs> Um, is there anything else that um, that you would say? That I, you know, the one thing I was wondering about is when you said people don't go downtown after five o'clock. It's sort of a ghost town. Are there places for people to go outside of the city? What do people do then if they don't? They're not showing up in a, in, in the downtown area. There, there's restaurants that are just on the outskirts of the downtown area. Um, some of our our niche. Um, Funky looking restaurants are down in Old Town, which I mean, it's it's a place that draws people's attention. You have your float plans that are down there, so why not grab yourself a beer and have some um, fish and chips while you're watching the float plane, planes come in? And then on the other end of the town, um, you have you know other restaurants and you have other bars and whatnot. So I mean, there's there's bars and and other other facilities that are just outside of the downtown core that definitely draw people's attention. And I think that's, that's where people would rather go than being downtown because, you know, as soon as you come out of, you know, a restaurant, odds are you're going to be bothered for, for a bit of cash Mm. or, you know, you're going to see some, some people carrying on. Now, is it fairly expensive in Yellowknife to to live? It is and it isn't. You know, we we get paid quite a bit, so there's really, I I don't think it is. Um, Yeah, we we, the wage here is is fairly high, so it offsets the the cost of living. Um, I mean, there still are some things like uh, power that is just eating eating up everybody's uh, Mm. wages here, and um, you know, sometimes to get you know, some some really good steak is expensive, mm. but mm. I mean, I I've lived up in Inuvik, and let me tell you, Yellowknife <laughs> is like living down south. <laughs> now I understand you're also involved with a couple of um, a couple of efforts to revitalize. Um, uh, I definitely am. Festival on Franklin is that something you're involved with? I am. I'm the director of Festival on Franklin. So, unfortunately, I wasn't the one who who revitalized this. Mm. We actually, back in the day, had a festival called um, Raven Mad Days. Mm. And um, June 20th each year, because it's the longest day of the year, and we would, you know, take up the entire Franklin Avenue and just have a good old time. Mm -hmm. So um, it was actually revitalized by a local business and he just handed the torch off to me and I have um, hit the ground running with this. Uh, it's actually it's, it's coming up here soon, June 20th, and mm. so we have quite a few retailers in the downtown that understand, you know, that this is a really good um, festival to be part of because everybody wants to see life back in downtown. When, when the festival happens, it's just it takes over everybody. Last year we had a um, a water balloon fight station, and you know, at, at some point we had you know we had a huge crowd of some of our, our our homeless population come out, and they were having a good old time just throwing water balloons at one another, and and people just forgot at that moment that they that you know. 
they were fearful of these individuals mm. and it was it was neighborly it was mm. fun it was it was festive and we have all of our street vendors our food vendors out and about so you get all these great smells of food and it's it's a kickoff to the summer and it's it's amazing it's it's nice to see the community come together now you mentioned the longest day of the year and the first thing that comes to mind for me is is also the shortest day of the year so in, in terms, can you give us a sense of how many hours of daylight do you have at the longest in the longest day of the year? Longest day of the year we have, depending on if it's overcast yeah. or not. <laughs> um, we get pretty much twenty to twenty-two hours of of, of daylight. Wow! And at the shortest you yeah. get three. Wow! Yeah, that's, yeah. that's quite a difference. It is quite a difference, but I got to tell you again, I, I lived up in Inuvik mm-hmm. and I remember being there for Christmas and there was no daylight whatsoever. <laughs> so I woke up and it was like being awake at 11 o'clock at night and I'm like, and I'm supposed to make a turkey in this. <laughs> so it's, uh, <laughs> so I, I'll take my three hours of daylight. I hear you. You know, uh, uh, did you get any sense when you were in Inuvik of, of like a, a, a some, some, some glow of, of daylight coming up at all or was it just black? You get like a dim little streak of light mm. on the horizon right. but that sun never comes up right not not a, not once yeah 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 they actually have a festival when the sun does rise when it comes up above the the, the skyline mm. they have a big festival where they shoot off the uh, fireworks and everything and they're like yes there's sun <laughs> So, so when do you get acclimatized to those changes? Because I, I did have the the privilege of of spending some time in in the north and uh, and for about a week, and it was uh, different times of the year. It was in November and in June. So in June, of course, I was out working, and and I was out in the on the land, and I looked at my watch, and it was nine thirty at night, and I kept working, and the next thing I know, it was twelve thirty at night, and it was it wasn't any darker, you know. So it was like wow. Um, and, and yet you, yeah. you had to actually cover the windows so you could get some sleep because you wouldn't, you know, your mind wouldn't shut down. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, for myself, I, I can almost, I can guarantee you I can fall asleep anywhere, but <laughs> I, I've got kids. So we've now put tinfoil up on their mm. windows so we can find something else to put there because they, they want to be up there. The sky's awake. So they're <laughs> <That's> awake. <right. laughs> so yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Fascinating. Well, um, it, it, it's really been a, a pleasure spe- a pleasure speaking with you this morning, Stacy. I appreciate you calling in and taking the time uh, to share the uh, some of the trials and and some of the beauty that you have up on, in Yellowknife. And I wish you all the best with uh, your endeavors and congratulations on on your uh, your, your election win as as councillor. So um, I wish you all the best. Thank you so much, and thank you again for having me. It's been our pleasure. We thank you, and hopefully we can catch up with you another time. Sounds great. Great. We've been speaking with uh, City Councillor in Yellowknife. That was Stacy Smith, and she is uh, newly elected, and she's also an entrepreneur. She owns Flowers North. She wants to revitalize and bring the heart back to the uh, downtown core of Yellowknife. We're going to take a pause, and we will be right back with Laura McKinnon of Outside Looking In. Don't go away. 
Welcome back to Moment of Truth on Element FM, and you are listening in Toronto and Ottawa, in Ottawa at 95.7, in Toronto at 106.5. You can also listen on the Radio Player Canada app, download the app, type in 95.7 ELMNT, or in Toronto, you can type in 106.5 ELMNT for those coordinates, and you can listen on your device of choice anywhere across Canada. It would even work in Yellowknife if, uh, as our guest, uh, previous guest called in from Yellowknife. I want to thank uh, Stacy Smith once again for calling in. Right now, though, in our studios, we have Laura McKinnon. Laura is a uh, the Future Leaders Program Director? Manager. Manager. <laughs> thank you. Um, and it's a pleasure to have Laura here. And she's going to tell us about something that is coming up uh, on the 23rd at Toronto's Sony Centre. And it's the Indigenous Youth Dance Show. I, I want to say dance-off almost kind of thing. But, um, uh, Laura, thanks for coming in and, and sharing uh, this with us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. So how long have you been involved with this program? So I actually started with Outside Looking In just this past September. Okay. So I'm experiencing my first performance alongside the youth as well. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. So what, what, it's your first year. What have you learned so far about this? What I have learned so far, oh my gosh, so much. I feel like the youth teach me things every single Mm. day. Um, Just the absolute resilience that all Mm. of these youth possess from deep within themselves um, and from within their communities. Um, And just reaffirming the power of dance. Outside Looking Mm. In is an organization uh, founded 12 years ago by Mm -hmm. a woman named Tracy Smith um, of the Missinabe Cree Nation. Mm -hmm. And she herself is a dancer. Um, And while I'm not going to tell her story, I can tell you that uh, she recognized in her own life the power of dance and wanted to offer that opportunity to youth living in Indigenous communities all across the country and for them to experience, um, you know, the power of self-expression uh, through movement, the the way it builds your confidence, the way it instills discipline, teamwork. Um, and then over the past 12 years, it's just grown. So all those those qualities that I mentioned, uh, that that discipline, the confidence, the self-esteem, um, that's really what I've what I've seen from the youth over this past year. And when you say youth, what ages are we talking about? So uh, at Outside Looking In, we work with youth in grades 7 to 12, mm-hmm. although we do have um, a few of our participants who are in their first year of university or have graduated and are still sort of exploring their options, but uh, between the ages of sort of 13 to 21. And so it, it, what, what exactly, aside from getting kids involved with dance, what is it that Outside Looking In wants to wants to do beside and you've talked about building their self-esteem etc cetera, etc cetera. are they just bringing the kids in and throwing them up on the dance floor or what, what is what is outside looking in and, and specifically what uh, future leaders program does? yeah so outside looking in is built on a foundation of education so okay. all of our programs are actually high school credits so our programs are delivered from september to june in uh, the home communities of these youth mm-hmm. and it's integrated into their school life okay. so they're actually receiving high school credits so aside from those qualities i talked about they're also this program helps them graduate high school you know a youth who participates all through high school and then into the future leaders program which i'll explain in a minute could earn up to five or six credits through outside looking in um and so you know the youth they talk to us about the hopes and dreams they have for the future and sometimes mm-hmm. getting through high school can be difficult um, and sure. so we're here to help move that process along. Oftentimes, too, depending on the size of the, of the community or the school, dance credits um, aren't always offered. So this mm-hmm. is just another course option they can take advantage of. It, you know, it sounds an awful lot like uh, music that is, isn't always offered in, mm-hmm. in a lot of the schools as well. But I can't see why this is any different, really. 
Yeah, I mean, it's all about the power of the arts. Mm-hmm. Um, and although we're built on a foundation of dance, certainly um, engaging in any art form in this intensive way would, would build that same kind of confidence and self-esteem and be a powerful mode of expression. So it's been around for 12 years. Um, how many communities is it currently in at this point in time? So know? this year we're working with uh, the most communities ever, 13, all across okay. the country. So okay. it started off just with one community, Lac LaCroix First Nation mm-hmm. in Ontario. Um, and it grew really organically. You know, someone finds out about it. They call us from northern Manitoba. They call us from Nova Scotia. And so now, this year, we're working with a high school in Iqaluit, with member two First Nation in Nova Scotia, Penticton Indian Band all the way in BC, and then quite a few communities in central Manitoba and northern mm. Ontario as well. That's called the Moccasin Telegraph, by the way. <laughs> yes. Well, it works powerfully <laughs> for outside looking in. Um, yeah. And so really, over the years, it's just grown. It's just grown that way, as you said. And this year, we have 114 youth that will be performing at the Sony Center on Thursday. Wow. Mm-hmm. So that's that's really cool. So obviously, these kids get in there. They're, they're getting credits, but they're obviously working towards something. So they have to com- I'm guessing they have to complete something by the end of the year or the end of the semester, whatever it is they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, because it is a credit, there are certain criteria they have to fulfill. But mm. we're also trying to encourage them to uh to excel in all areas of their of their academic of their academic life, mm-hmm. so we have pretty strict criteria. Yep. Um, the kids to stay eligible for outside looking in have to attend school eighty percent of the time. They have to maintain a sixty five percent average, and we assess them on their on their choreographic ability, how they're keeping up with the dance mm. on a monthly basis. And they have to maintain what we call a green status, so they're good to go. You know, yep. they have their timing down, their mm-hmm. energy, their dynamics, their levels, and if they maintain that all the way throughout the year, um, they are basically rewarded with this chance to perform on stage and sort of. See see their hard work come to life in front of 3,000 people. So I, I imagine at this point in time, there might be some kids out there, some parents going, hey, this sounds like something I'd love to get my kids involved with. This yeah. sounds it's right up their alley. What would they, how do they get involved? So um, if it, if the program already exists in their community, mm-hmm. they can just show up at the launch week is what we call it. So mm-hmm. um, our choreographers and program managers uh, go to the community. They hold parent and community meetings and they basically hold an open dance class, an open rehearsal. And any number of kid who, uh, kids who want to participate can just show up. So they self-select. We don't select the kids. We say this opportunity is open. We invite you to come and join us. Um, and so anyone who's interested can participate. Uh, in terms of new communities coming on board, they can reach out to us through our website. Um, or often people, you know, they will know someone who knows someone who calls us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they can certainly apply to have their community involved through through our website. Okay. And uh, that's outside looking in? Mm-hmm. Outside looking in. Uh, the website is olishow.com. Oh. O-L-I-Show.com. Mm-hmm, yeah. All right, for people that are interested in, in jotting that down or going to that website right at the moment. And as mentioned, this is now in its 12th year, and it's Indigenous Youth Dance Show. The other thing that comes to mind is not everyone is going to be interested, say, you know, in, in a certain kind of dance. There, there's going to be have to be, I imagine, different kinds of dance involved. So we actually work um, almost exclusively with hip hop and urban dance styles. And uh, that's, you know, that has proven, um, you know, for our model and the communities we work with to be incredibly popular. And Mm. it really grabs the kids, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, building on a foundation of some music they might have heard before. Mm -hmm. And just the the I guess the power and energy and boldness of the moves combined with that hip hop ethos around expressing yourself Mm. and that being sort of the central foundation of all. Um, of the art form, I think, appeals to a really wide array of kids. And also, you know, in so many of these communities, kids are already dancing, sure. right? In all, you know, in their tr- in traditional dance, we have tons of traditional dancers, mm. square dancing, all mm-hmm. that stuff. And so mm-hmm. for them, it's also another modality of movement. Right. And that appeals for sure. 
and and there really is that tie-in. There's a there is a, a definite connection between hip hop and indigenous traditional dancing. Absolutely, uh, palo dancing is uh, those foot moves uh, are very similar in a lot of of cases, um, and we've heard that referenced uh, before. So so that's that's very interesting. Um, now, is there a history given? Because I know that actually the, the history of hip-hop is very interesting. Do you guys explore that with the students? Yeah, for sure. As I said, we're built on a foundation of education. Mm. And so I can give you an example of... Um, in April, we were in Winnipeg with the future leaders, and I, I want to tell you all about that in a minute, but okay. the choreographer there, we had like a lesson in the history of hip-hop. Where does it come from? Why did it start? How did it start? Mm. Um, what was the geography of it? How did mm. it expand? Mm. Um, because, you know, the education piece is important. So these the students are not coming away just with, um, you know, a curriculum of new moves they can share, but also also knowledge. And it then empowers them to take this into the rest of their life and however they want, whether that's taking classes, whether it's applying the discipline of dance to another part Mm -hmm, of their life, mm -hmm. um, or feeling empowered by the values of hip-hop to just keep expressing themselves. You know, there's a lot of uh, Indigenous uh, youth who are 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 coming out, you know, uh, like we hear about new artists every day. Uh, Are you finding any of these these, uh, students that are getting involved have... Uh, relationship to original music or or uh, family members that are involved that they want to use music from themselves or, or something like that? Or is it always commercial music they're, they're using? Up until now, it's mostly been commercial music, mm-hmm. expe- especially working towards the performance. But that being said, every community is so different, mm-hmm. right, in terms of their relationship to music and mm-hmm. what they want to bring forward. And as we go forward and, we, and capacity is built amongst the youth – For example, we have one of our youth as a choreographer this year for the first time. So as we move forward, that is certainly something, um, I guess, to integrate into the program. Up until now, it's been so new, I guess, everywhere that we've gone that Mm -hmm. it's been sort of like, okay, we'll sort of see what this is all about. We'll learn the dance. We'll sort of take it as it is. But then as we work more and more with communities as the years go by, there's certainly more interest in bringing, bringing more of themselves and their interests, their traditions into the work. Great. Um, we have to take a short pause. So um, if you don't mind, we will just uh, take this, uh, do this, and come right back. Don't go away if you're listening. Uh, we're going to come back and talk more with Laura McKinnon and the Indigenous Youth Dance Show that is coming up on May 23rd, and that is with Outside Looking In and the Future Leaders Program. Don't go away. We'll be right back on Element FM. Welcome back to Moment of Truth and to Element FM. I'm your host, David Moses. Our guest in the studio is Laura McKinnon, and she is the Future Leaders Program Manager for Outside Looking In. It's her first year involved, and so she's very excited, uh, I can tell you, from speaking with her about, about what she's doing. And that has to do with an Indigenous youth dance show that is coming up in Toronto at the Sony Centre on Thursday, May 23rd. It's their 12th annual Indigenous Youth Dance Show, and we've been talking a little bit about the program, a little bit about how it is, uh, as I mentioned, in its 12th year, in its uh, 13 communities, I believe. This uh, helps kids. It's uh, education as well as getting kids active, involved with dance, giving them credits uh, towards school, which is a really cool idea. And um, so they bring all of these kids together. And, of course, that brings a whole lot of other questions together. Where do they get the funding to move all these kids and bring them into Toronto? How does that, how does that work? They have to get here by themselves or, you know, how does that all work? But um, I'm going to, uh, to ask Laura at this point because before the break she was talking about Winnipeg. And 
going there to speak with the future leaders, uh, which is what she heads up. So, uh, Laura, again, welcome back to the program. And, and what can you tell us about being in Winnipeg in the last little while and, and uh, speaking with the leaders? Yeah, so um, I guess six years into the existence of Outside Looking In, some of the students who had completed maybe two or three years of the program wanted something more. Mm. And they, you know, they had seen what the program had done for their confidence, for their ability to become leaders in their community. And they said, can you do more for us? We want to be able to build more skills. So that's where Future Leaders was born Mm. as a program. And Future Leaders is another high school credit that's really important to us. But it's under the umbrella of career education and leadership development. So in order to be a be a future leader. I'm using air quotes. <laughs> um, the students have to be in grade 10 and up, and they have to have completed at least one year of our regular dance credit program. And once they send in an application and they're accepted, they're actually paired with a mentor for the mm. duration of the school year. Mm. Um, and so because, as I said, it's a career education, personal management and leadership leadership development program. Uh, They're working on things like writing a resume and cover letter, uh, gaining work experience, learning pre-employability skills um, like time management, organization, Mm. uh, critical thinking, collaboration, all that stuff. And so then that mentorship piece means there's someone walking the path with them for the entire year and providing support. Um, But what's really cool is because the youth are living um, this year in particular in central Manitoba and northern Ontario, the mentorship is virtual. So they're paired with mentors who are living this year, mostly Southern Ontario and in Quebec. And so they communicate via email and letter writing and social media. Um, And so that's part of my job as Future Leaders Program Manager is facilitating that communication Mm. and making sure that the mentee and mentors um, are, are supporting one another on that path forward. And so uh, as it connects to Winnipeg, Mm. part of uh, being in Future Leaders means the youth get an extra trip. Uh, So they don't get just the Toronto trip to perform at the show. They also get to spend a week in Winnipeg. Um, And the Winnipeg experience is all about uh, helping the youth look towards their future and plan for it. So we visited Red River College. We visited University of Manitoba. Uh, The youth got to open bank accounts at a branch of RBC. Mm. Um, We took in some cultural sites as well, Mm. visited the Museum of Human Rights. Mm. Uh, But the big thing for the youth that really grabs them is they get to learn another dance. So they get to display their dance skills twice on stage. Um, And so that was a pretty special experience as well, spending time in a professional studio uh, with a professional choreographer because for the most part these youth they dance in their school gyms mm. so um, it was sort of an, an elevated dance experience for them as well I know I know you said you're you're, you're new to this but mm-hmm. I'm wondering what kind of comments you've heard back from youth that have, have been involved mm-hmm. you know uh, from what you're talking about uh, I, I imagine it has made some some significant impacts on people's lives absolutely um, for you know we have some youth we have we actually have hired, Um, A bunch of our alumni. So we have a junior program manager program right now. So we have people working in their home communities for outside looking in, and they've all gone through the future leaders program. And so from future leaders, they learned how to apply for a job and how to navigate that process. Mm. Um, You know, they uh, maybe have entered into post-secondary education and that whole process is so difficult to navigate. And some of the youth maybe don't have people in their families who have pursued post-secondary or completed high school. And so sometimes you just need someone to show you what are the steps? You know, how do I log on to the website? How do I send an email? So we're here to help facilitate that. Yeah. Yeah. Largely over Facebook as it happens. (laughs) And and you know, it's so, it's so, it's those little things. And Mm -hmm. if you haven't had that opportunity, if there's been no one there, as you mentioned in your family that has done that before, that has helped and help be your mentor. Yeah. uh, It's, it, it, it can just be those little things that hold you back. And so that's great. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you have any idea how many, how many um, kids have gone through the program since it started? 
uh, through outside looking in since the very beginning. I think it's about 300 students who've gone through. Now, you know, the thing comes to mind as, as we're talking is, you know, everything costs money these days. Yeah. So how does how does outside looking in manage to maintain itself? And, and do kids have to pay to join? How, how does that all work? Yeah, so we're lucky we have a lot of generous supporters. Mm-hmm. The Future Leaders Program is um, supported by the RBC Foundation. Okay. Um, you know, they have a big focus on... Uh, the future of work for young people, and mm-hmm. so our you know our values align quite closely. Um, outside looking in as a whole organization has support from Indigenous Services, um, from TD Bank, from the Tim Hortons Children's Foundation, and then just a variety of mm-hmm. of you know of private donors and sure. other foundations, um, including some government funding. Um, but the communities are partners in this, and so the communities do pay to be part of the program. The individual students, there's no charge for right. the individual okay. student, but the communities, you know, they're sort of expressing their belief in the value value of this by saying we'll contribute to the cost so that, you know, we're partnering with chief and council or the education authorities um, in their, you know, in our commitment to the youth and making mm. this program work for them. Mm. Is there a cap on how many students could could enroll in any particular year or from a class? Or we community? haven't had a cap so far. <laughs> um, I mean, we might be growing outgrowing the Sony Center. Maybe one day we'll have a Western hub and an Eastern hub. But up until now, there's been no cap. It's whoever whoever wants to participate and is able to meet the criteria all the way through to May. Mm. Mm-hmm. How long of a process is, 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 is it for someone if they're interested in applying? Like, what do they need to go through? Yeah, you know? so um, ideally they c- would contact us at the end of the school year. So mm-hmm. generally it's principals or um, leaders at the education authority who mm-hmm. are contacting us in June so that we can organize everything through the summer to start right in September um, because our program managers are traveling, you know, as of the second or third week of September to launch the program. So mm-hmm. organizing uh, starting in June is best. And so you bring everyone in for this this wonderful uh, <laughs> dance extravaganza. Mm-hmm. Um, how exciting is that? Because you've got youth coming in, as you mentioned, from across the country. Yeah, it's so exciting. And, you know, for some of the youth who don't travel that often, mm-hmm. um, or maybe they just go to a few central hubs like Winnipeg or Thunder yeah. Bay or Ottawa, yeah. um, it's a really unique experience. You know, they're meeting other Indigenous youth from all across the country and sharing incredibly diverse lived experiences. And what's very cool is that we're hosted by the Tim Hortons Children Foundation oh, Camp nice. yeah. um, in St. George. Mm. And so the youth who are there right now practicing, mm-hmm. they have a right. two-week rehearsal period. Right. Um, and it's an amazing facility. They built a Sony Center-sized stage in a barn for us a few years ago. <laughs> so they're they're rehearsing, you know, in a very sort of realistic, realistic setting. Um, plus also experiencing camp. It's a beautiful location. Mm. There's farm animals. Yeah. Um you know, there's opportunity to, you know, to hike and yep. to ride bikes and rock yep. climb and all that stuff. Um, but there is also, again, that education focus. Everyone comes with a homework packet and has to do homework every day because mm. we recognize that we're taking the youth out of school for two weeks. Right. But, you know, we're really strong partners with the schools and they see and understand the value of this as well. And so I'm not sure if you mentioned this earlier, but how many kids are, are here this year? There are 114 at the camp right now. Okay. So, I mean, obviously that's uh, that's an undertaking in itself to mm-hmm. keep an eye on all these kids. There must yeah. be chaperones. Uh, yes. Do parents get involved? Are they allowed to be chaperones or, you know, escort their kids or how's that work? Yeah. So we rely on those dedicated community volunteers. Mm. And part of launching the program in a community is finding people who who will work with us for the whole year um, and they get training. Uh, and so they're, you know, when the program is running in community, they're responsible for helping set up for rehearsals, making sure that everyone is in attendance and running music and all that stuff. And then they come along as chaperones. So right. sometimes it's parents, sometimes it's teachers, sometimes it's other community volunteers, but certainly people 
accompany the students from each community, and we couldn't do it without the chaperones. Yeah, the fa- like the families, the communities are absolutely integral right. to this process. So that brings up another another element. And just in case somebody's going, hey, I would love to be in a chaperone, you know, and escort my kid. So now I'm sure there's there's probably paperwork they have to fill out. Maybe maybe they have a police check, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, as with any youth serving organization, anyone who works with us does have to have yeah. um, a background check. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's not a one to one ratio. So you know, the group no. of students will have sure. a couple of chaperones come. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally speaking, you know, the communities they know who they're sort of looking to in terms of. Um, people who would be great chaperones. Mm. Um, and then they're with the youth the entire time, um, all the way you know into the theater. But then they get to sit and enjoy the show. And uh, it's open to the public? The show is absolutely open to the public. Uh, tickets are on sale now through Ticketmaster. Um, they're also available the day of at the box office. Um, we have two shows on Thursday, one at 11 a.m. and one at 7 p.m. Uh, what's cool about the matinee is that we're actually hosting a youth panel. So mm-hmm. our four junior, five rather, junior program managers um, are going to speak on stage about their communities, about their experience, um, actually moderated by an alumni of the program. <laughs> and that's uh, really tailored to school. So we have 2,000 school kids coming out uh, to learn. You know, that's really what it's all about. It's it's the exchange that's so powerful. So mm-hmm. people from all over the GTA and other parts of Ontario are going to come and see these kids um, you know, sharing their passion, but sharing their community stories. So there's a video that precedes each dance um, that was shot in community and had featured student mm-hmm. interviews yep. um, because it's really about learning on both sides. You know, so it's for our youth who are dancing, it's a chance to see outside their community and get new experiences. And for everyone watching, it's a chance to to learn about the youth from their perspective, you know, from their voice telling their story. Yeah. So if someone was to, to go in and see the show, what might they expect to see? Uh, they are going to, to see a super high energy performance. Um, there are 17 dance pieces because com- some communities have so many participants. There's a junior group, there's a high school right. group, there's a varsity group. Uh, and so, yeah, super high energy performance, those little quick videos showcasing um, each community. And, you know, it's these kids coming out um, and like the audience, like they clap and they cheer. It's not really like sure. a polite sit in silence kind right, of show. It's sure. way more celebratory yeah. than that. Um and yeah, just an absolute celebration of movement, um, of their accomplishments. And, you know, of course, closing with all 114 on the yeah, stage is pretty epic. Yeah. So is, it, is there an MC for the event? Yes. So uh, the MC for the matinee is Mark Strong, who people might be familiar with because he is with the Raptors mm. hosting that. And then uh, Candy Palmater is our oh. <laughs> evening host. Right. So we're super, super excited that she's come on board. She's going to be amazing for the yeah, evening that's, show. That's great that they get mm-hmm. involved in. And um, so every year, uh, as you mentioned, that is the kind of thing that you've been you've been putting together and pulling together. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it always in Toronto or does it travel around to different cities? So up until now, it's always been in Toronto. Um, because the program began in Ontario, it mm. was sort of the easiest central hub. Mm. Um, not to say the show might move or travel as we grow, but up until now, it's always been in Toronto. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you see looking down the road for the future? Uh, I mean, I see the organization growing every year. More and more communities reach out to us saying we would love to have this program. Um, And we also see the program being run by community members in their communities. Um, We're working towards, you know, employing more, employing more people Mm -hmm. with outside looking Mm in. Um, And so really having that ownership over the program being centered in communities. I can see that going forward. I'm wondering, uh, as this is this is involves schools, yeah. so obviously principals and teachers are involved. Mm-hmm. What have you heard, uh, if you have, uh, in the short time you've mm-hmm. been involved, yeah. from uh, from schools and principals and and teachers involved with the program? Yeah, they see the program as incredibly valuable and. 
that it's become a really important part of the whole ecosystem of the school experience for these youth. Because of that, um, because of that requirement on our part of maintaining that average and that attendance, it just brings up their grades entirely. Plus, what can happen in a school when you have enough kids who've been involved in outside looking in? Achievement becomes cool. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. because, you know, say the first year you have two kids who make it all the way to Toronto, right. you have some community members go, or they see videos or they come back and perform, and then you. You know, other youth are like, whoa, okay, I want to do that now. Yeah, yeah. Um, before they were maybe not sure, seemed <laughs> yeah. kind of weird. I don't yeah. know about this dancing thing. And the next yeah, yeah. year you have twice as many and then sure. twice as many. Yeah. And then it becomes this standard thing yeah. that we go to school and we do our homework and we ask for help when we need it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the values that maybe weren't present before uh, just sort of grow, you know, and expand yeah. amongst the student population. And this, the teachers and principals really see that. Well, what a great idea. And, and so how is, it's, it's, it, it's a simple but beautiful and, and great idea um, because it ties in with kids, with something kids are interested in doing anyway. Yeah. And it, and it gives that launching area for kids to say, if I want to get involved, all I have to do is this. Mm-hmm. You know? and, yeah. And I think the other unique thing about Outside Looking In is that it's really based around relationships. Mm. Like we're not going in to a community for a week. Mm-hmm. We're going in for the entire year, right. year over year. And the intention is always to go back once we've started. And right. so, you know, they get to know us obviously in a professional sense, but also as people. And they really feel like like outside looking in becomes a family. So it's not just people who sort of drop in, mm-hmm. do a dance workshop and leave. Right. Like it's important to us that we yeah. build those relationships and partnerships with the right. communities. So do the kids wear costumes or do they have uh, dance outfits they get put together or, or they like Tim Hortons, ha- you know, generally oh, has, yeah. has T-shirts or something. So they're going to be the- in costume. Yeah. Uh, the choreographers sort of set out what their vision is right. uh, and then professional hair and makeup, the oh, whole yeah. thing. So they have that full like that full show experience. That is pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, that, that really is something for them to take away and feel very special doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, most performers might not ever make it to the Sony Center yeah. stage, right? It's so right. it's it's such an incredible experience and the, and the sense of achievement they feel like it makes them feel like they can do anything yeah is there anything else you can think of that you want to mention about this uh, as we uh, our time is running out so we have a couple of minutes left hmm. um i guess you know what i would say is that people who you know are thinking of coming to the show like yes it's hip-hop it's going to be super high energy it's super mm. fun to watch but that it can be a transformative experience to learn about these kids in their communities of um, and i think that in an effort to expand our understanding of one another, that it's an important show to see. Yeah, you, you brought up an important point with that, uh, that it is, uh, it sounds very exciting, but it, these kids can come from some very challenging communities mm-hmm. and that they have some very challenging uh, things uh, going on in their lives and in their families that uh, they are trying to overcome. And it sounds like this program is helping them do that. So yeah. congratulations on that. Thank front. you so much. You are listening to Moment of Truth, and I'm your host, David Moses. Our, our host, uh, rather, our guest today is Laura McKinnon, and she is the Future Leaders Program Manager, and she is with Outside Looking In. You can catch that performance at the Sony Center Thursday, May 23rd. And as uh, Laura mentioned, there's two performances. You want to give those times again? Uh, yes, we have a matinee at 11 a.m., and our evening show begins at 7 p.m. And you can get those tickets online or go to the website. You want to hand out the website? Sure. Uh, the website is olishow.com, and to get tickets, it's olishow.com slash events. Great. Thank you so much, Laura. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks for coming in today. Thanks so much for having me. You bet.
I also want to say nyawa miigwech wanishi and thank you to everyone who helps put Moment of Truth together. They include in Ottawa, Jill Kennedy, Aidan Wolf, and Caroline O'Neill. In Toronto, Janet Lamb, Andrew Johnson, Luca Capone, Kathy Zabokin, Bruce Barber, Andrew St. Germain. Nyawa miigwech and thanks for listening. This show was brought to you in part by APTN.